with so many stories that he could write a book, and he just might. This is going to take a little bit more time with the setup because of his incredible life before his world was hit like a 747 on the side of a mountain. Rory McLeod didn't just walk back down the side of the mountain. He was hit with his mother's romance scam at the same time that he found out she was dying. He took a race car right into the abyss. He had a new purpose, and he took the bull by the horns. It was 2015. Rory had it all, living in California, working at an amazing job. He decided the world had gotten too ugly and he wanted more out of life. So he sold all of his belongings and took off on a bicycle tour across the country. Fast forward and he fell in love with a beautiful village in Croatia and decided that's where he would live while writing a book about all of the kind people he met and his wonderful travels. Life was good. That is until one day when he went home to see his family for Christmas and his world was turned upside down. Basically, how this all started was back at the end of 2021, I was going to fly home to visit my family for the first time in three years. And it was all going to be an important trip for my family because my mother had been estranged from my sister for many years and their relationship was just starting to mend. And my sister had moved to Texas earlier that year, and she invited my mother and me to come spend the holidays at her house. You know, things were going to finally move forward. Rory hadn't been able to see his nieces and nephews in Texas for a while because of COVID. The plan was to keep it a surprise and show up on the doorstep wearing a Santa outfit. He had no idea what was about to hit him. Unfortunately, uh, a couple weeks before that, it was on my mom's birthday. She had just turned 72. And I called her that day to wish her a happy day. This was uh, on December 5th of 2021. Uh, While we were talking, she told me that over the past year, she had been having some problems swallowing. You know, it had been getting progressively worse. And now she was at the point where she really hadn't been able to eat any solid foods for a couple of weeks. Uh, She was down to about 100 pounds. She had gone to her doctor in May to have a physical and her doctor basically like dismissed it and and said, you know, quote, you know, eat smaller bites. Okay. Side notes. I was 41 years old when my brain was bleeding. Doctors didn't believe me. When I finally went to the ER, they gave me the side eye because I had a headache. My brain was bleeding. No one believed me. It was bleeding for a week, actually. That's a different podcast. My point is people need an advocate when it comes to health issues. And Rory was there. My mom did what the doctor said, went home, tried to ignore it, took smaller bites, and the problem just got worse. So by the time she told me this, this was on her birthday, this was only a few weeks before I was supposed to fly and she was going to join us in Texas. And the reason why she even told me was because, you know, she was worried it was going to affect the trip, that we wouldn't be able to like go out to restaurants and whatnot. And I told her as a mom, you know, first and foremost, what matters is your health. But she still at that point didn't think it was anything that major. It was just more of an inconvenience. She was pretty confident. It was a a diverticulum. You know, her doctor had really convinced her that this is something that happens to people as they get older. You know, she said she would monitor it. And next couple of weeks go by and we're getting pretty close to my trip. 
And the, the, the irony is of, of the two of us, we all thought I would be the one who wouldn't be able to travel because back then that's right when Omicron was starting to surge. Uh, there were still a lot of travel restrictions between Europe and the States. My flight kept getting canceled for a variety of reasons. And I also had like my residency challenges, you know, which I, every year I have to renew my residency to stay in Croatia. And the day before uh, I was um, going to leave Croatia, she texted my sister and me to say that she had to cancel uh, because her her situation had gotten worse. And now she had an endoscopy scheduled for after the holidays. But it was you know so bad that basically her doctor said that she shouldn't travel. She was devastated because she can't now attend this, you know, family get together, you know, with myself and my sister and her grandkids. I was, of course, you know, bummed because it kind of, you know, ruined the 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 whole point of the trip. But I was going to go anyway, right? I wasn't going to cancel my trip. So so anyway, I flew. I I arrive at my sister's doorstep in a full Santa outfit on Christmas Eve and surprised my niece and nephew. So that part went well. But pretty much as soon as I got there, it became clear that whatever was troubling my mother was a lot more serious than she let on. So I decided once I was in Texas um, that I was going to change my trip and go to Florida to help my mother. Um, she lived in Tampa, uh, just north of the city. So I arrived on uh, New Year's Day. So literally the first day of 2022, this is how my year went, was arriving New Year's Day. Um, and right away, I, you know, I, my sister and I had done enough research at this point into what the condition was uh, potentially going to be with my mother, that we were convinced this was going to be as bad as it gets, that it was going to be a, a cancer diagnosis. And as we learned, people with this type of uh, cancer, it, it, the prognosis is very bleak. I was already preparing myself for the worst. So I'd shown up, you know, New Year's Day, and I started peppering my mother with some questions because my mother had always been very secretive about her life in general. Like she just, she, she just kept things very close to the vest. And so I knew nothing about her life, really. Um, and I needed to know things like what medicine do you give your dog? You know, what day do you water your plants? What are your passwords to your, you know, email and banks in case I needed, you know, pay a bill for you? So she gives me a lot of that information. And then um, I take her to the hospital Monday morning, January 3rd uh, for her endoscopy. And it doesn't go well. Basically, the tumor that was in her throat was so large now that the doctor wasn't able to like force the tube any further down and take a, take a solid sample. So when his mother came out of anesthesia, he held her hand while explaining to her that it didn't work. She wanted to die right then. So we had to abort the procedure and the doctor wanted to send her home. And I said, no, like my mother has been suffering for months now. I live overseas and I'm here only for a very temporary time. I'm not bringing her home that will gut her. Like we need a better solution. So he said, okay, well, best thing you could do is take her to the ER. They're going to have to admit her. Um, and then once she gets admitted to the ICU, we can start scheduling some further tests. So, okay. So it went so that, from send her home to, okay, send her to ICU. That's quite the difference. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, you know, and this is, you know, the stress starts ratcheting up quickly because this was still during COVID. And so hospitals had, uh, strict rules about who could be at the ER. So in, in, in the case of Tampa General, there was no visitors in, allowed in the ER, none. My mother had just come out of an endoscopy. She went into it, you know, just begging, begging the doctor. Like she didn't, she was not even thinking this was like a, a terminal situation. She was just, I need relief. Eventually, later that day, we got her admitted. In the meantime, 
you know, now that I had spoken with the doctor, I saw the CAT scan myself. I saw like, you know, the tumor in the throat was like the size of a hacky sack. You know, it was, this was a big size tumor. We still did not know, you know, what the staging was or how, if it had spread any of that, right? We just knew that this was definitely going to be cancer. That's when he reached out to his sister, the daughter who was estranged and for good reason. How would she react? So I called my sister back in Texas and I said, if you want to come and be here, I suggest you come immediately because this could get really bad really fast. So my sister arrived that night. Um, This is the night of the 3rd of January. And on the 4th, you know, we spend the day at the hospital. My mom, you know, while she's doing a bunch of tests. And on January 5th, Wednesday, uh, we go to the hospital in the morning and when we show up, my mother is off having a feeding tube put into her stomach. And so my sister and I sit down in the waiting room area and I had my mom's computer with me and I decided to do some poking around because again, she's still being very secretive about a lot of things. And I just needed to have a better understanding of the state of her affairs because again, I was suddenly now in charge of everything. So I'm poking around and all of a sudden I see this like strange file on her uh, computer. First of all, I should say my mom was like the opposite of a hoarder. You know, if a hoarder, you know, collects and collects and collects, mom is a purger. You know, she just was, it was incredible to see how she would like delete stuff. And she had done this her whole life. His mother liked her house in order, so much so that he remembers the day she called him and said, come get your G.I. Joes and other stuff at the house. You know, her computer had like nothing on it, but there was, you know, a bunch of files in her uh, downloads folder that she must have just not realized were there. And one of them was this wire transfer with Wells Fargo, and it was for taxes and shipping for two gold bars. And I saw this, I'm like, this is strange. What is this gold bar thing? And I asked my sister, and the best that we could come up with was, well, our grandmother had just recently passed away. She died in April that year. And my mom had been so secretive, we had no idea what the status of our grandmother's estate was and what what the inheritance was. You know, we just concluded, well, you know, grandma, she was, you know, almost 95 at that point when she passed. She would have had gold and um, left that to our mother in her her estate. So we just, you know, kind of assumed that's what it was. So in the meantime, I leave uh, my sister in the lobby to go see if my mom had returned to her room. And I found her back, you know, in her hospital bed. And so I join her there and my sister comes back in the room as well. Mom is just devastated, right? She's come out of another procedure. She is in so much discomfort. She just wants to die. The amount of anguish on her face was just gut-wrenching. And I'm holding her hand on the bed and I'm having the most horrific conversation a son has to have with like his parent, where I am trying to tell my mother, basically, mom, if you want to die, I support you, right? Like I'm basically giving my permission to do whatever she wants to end her life, right? And that that would include, you know, suspending any more tests and just entering hospice immediately. You know, as I get deeper into the story, you know, um, I was always kind of concerned, you know, whether my sister would decide she's had enough and wants to go home um, or whether she would stay stay with me through the end, which she did, right? And I was so proud of her that, like, that she, I couldn't have done this without her. I mean, she was just... We, we both leaned on each other in this period. But but in that in those first few days, I was not sure what was going to happen. And while I'm having this conversation with my mom, out of the corner of my eye, I see my sister standing behind the bed in the corner of the room. And she's looking at my mother's phone and she is freaking out, like having the most horrified look on her face. 
And I was kind of annoyed. I'm like, I'm having this like in- incredibly serious conversation with our mother right now. What could you possibly be looking at that's so important? Mm. But she is like really freaking out. And the reason why she was looking at our mother's phone was because my mother was a uh, licensed marriage and family therapist. She was not expecting to be in the hospital that whole week. So she hadn't canceled her uh, sessions. She was working six days a week at the age of 72 and seeing nine clients a day. So we, wow. we had a cancel. Yeah, she was was a different generation. (laughs) Now, with hindsight being 2020, I also now know why she was working so much. So so she had all these sessions and we we were canceling um, you know, them as much as we could. So my sister was looking at the phone just to see if, you know, any of the clients had called or messaged. And anyway, she says to me, Rory, can I see you outside? And I'm like, all right, fine. So I go outside, I join her in the hallway, and she shows me the phone. And it's clear that there's an email, an email had just come in and it's from a woman. The name was Diana Spicer. And, you know, I could tell right away, this is like one of those spam messages you get. Um, God knows I've, you know, received dozens a day and, you know, there's just like the very, you know, classic typos and bad grammar and bad punctuation. And these are things, by the way, I'm really attuned to because I'm a writer. Like I, I look for this stuff. I, I take, I take grammar very seriously. So, you know, it was just very obvious to me this was, you know, some spam. So I'm like, well, what's the big deal? But then my sister takes the phone and she starts scrolling. And what's clear is that this wasn't just one random message that had come into my mom's phone, that there was a long chain of communications between my mother and this person. And as she's scrolling, I start to see certain words, words like mint and Michael and love, and then a dollar figure for like 137000 and all of a sudden, I'm seeing this, and I'm processing it. And then I remember this gold bar wire transfer receipt that you know I'd found earlier that morning. And all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh no, oh god!" And I literally said to my sister, "I was like, what do you want me to do with this? Like, I, I literally don't know what to do with this. I'm like, I'm already like one step from having a nervous breakdown with everything going on with our mother. Like, remember, I, I showed up just a week ago in a Santa outfit, and now suddenly I'm facing um, my mother's death, and now there's there's some potential scam happening. We go down into the lobby of the cafeteria. And the first thing I do was I call my mother's accountant. Um, And the reason why I called him was my mother uh, had named him her power of attorney. There was nothing I could even do or find out until we um, had whoever was power of attorney, like, you know, on the case, right? So I call him up and he like almost was expecting my call. I, I call him up and say, listen, I just found this strange email on my mom's phone. Kind of just sighed and said, yeah, I, I figured I'd be hearing from you at some point. And basically, you know, it's like Alice going down the rabbit hole. This was the beginning of me going down the rabbit hole. So the high level fact is over the course of eight years, going back to 2014, my mother was the victim of three different romance scams and she lost close to a million dollars. When we were in the hospital, the last scam was still happening. So this was this was literally going on up until the moment we showed up. And I discover this the same day we find out that she's got stage four terminal cancer and that she has weeks to live. So now we have to bring our mother home to her house to prepare her to die. Um, and all that goes with that, the emotional support, the physical support, and then all the logistical work that goes into it while simultaneously having to figure out and put a stop to this crazy legal financial scam that has just fallen into our laps. And because 
my mother was so distraught and so broken. I mean, she was suddenly facing the end of her life. And obviously, she was reflecting on how things had gone so south for her. I've never seen someone grieve like in, in such a depressed state. I've never seen someone so broken that I didn't have it in me to tell her that we had discovered this. And so my sister and I made that decision not to um, confront her and not to say anything, which made it all the more worse because now this became this elephant in the room that none of us could talk about. And I had to become a spy where I had to investigate everything I could and to basically put myself between her and the scammers so that they couldn't keep accessing her because I needed to protect her estate first and foremost for her, because I knew that she, while she was still alive, was going to need medical bills uh, paid and potentially we were going to have to get her around the clock nursing care. We might have to even like move her to, to Texas where my sister lived. So I needed to protect whatever was left of her estate for her, but then also, of course, protect the estate for when she passed. And so it just became this most incredibly stressful period of my life where I am having to be there for my mother in a way that I never was expecting and learn details of her life that I never, ever knew about and that she probably never wanted me to discover. I understand this so much. Even years after a scam victim passes away, there are still details to learn. I'm still putting the pieces together on what she did and what her personality was really like, my mom's personality. So we took her home from the hospital that Saturday night. So it was six days you know, later from when she first went to the hospital. And in a way, it was like taking a newborn baby home because when we took our mother home, all of a sudden, I was totally responsible for her life. Everything I was responsible for like newborn baby, you know, that means like I was constantly having to like put everything of my life aside for her life. And the difference though was, you know, with a newborn baby, it's, it's joy, right? There's, it's a lot of joy coming to the home. And and this is the opposite emotion. It's, this is the feeling of uh, depression and sadness and grief because we know that, we're, you know, she's going to die. But the big difference is, you know, most, most parents who are expecting to have a newborn baby have nine months to prepare nine months to physically prepare, you know, get the room ready, all that kind of stuff. Also nine months mentally and emotionally prepare. And I had five days. So all of a sudden I bring her home and I am freaking out. My sister is freaking out. We're not prepared for this. I don't know what it's like to like help someone through hospice or to uh, watch them die. So I am simultaneously having to go through this emotional journey of supporting my mother in her final weeks while at the same time, trying to process what I just learned, right? Because, you know, I think like what a lot of family members go through when they discover that their parent has been caught in a scam is a similar uh, journey where, you know, you first start with disbelief and then you go through that anger and disappointment. And this is part of my whole story is I've been on this journey now for years since she's passed to really understand what's happened. When I started, I, of course, started off with this feeling of disappointment and anger. And as did my sister. And going back to your point, April about, um, you know, that relationship between my mom and my sister, I was really worried that my, my sister was going to say, I don't need this, right? I've got my own kids back home who need me. This mother of ours was not the best mother at times. And I thought my sister was going to, to leave me to deal with this all by myself. We really had to get through this first couple of days and, and, and get things to settle down. Okay. So how did they first reach out to her? The very first scam started in 2014. Um, and what happened was my mother had signed up for chemistry.com. She met a guy. Uh, they 
matched. They had a couple of phone conversations, but you can never understand him because he had a European accent is what she said in her IC3 report. The relationship didn't last very long. He did try to pressure her into investing in some opportunity. And she did ultimately wire him $10,000. But eventually she came to realize that it was a scam. I don't know if she truly came to realize that he wasn't the person she thought he was, or if he had just kind of, you know, managed to bamboozle her out of $10,000. I should go back for a second and say that. So my mother was living alone in Tampa. You know, she, my father had divorced back in 2003. That was a very bad divorce. Um, They went through bankruptcy because my dad's businesses had failed. And my mother was left with a lot of debt. And this debt kind of became a wedge in our family because um, my mother felt like she was saddled with this debt, even though this was a debt that she and my, my father had brought on themselves. So she's saddled with this debt on top of losing money to a scammer. You'd think that victims would stop there, but that's not how this works. It's actually the opposite. On top of her spiraling money problems, her relationship with her daughter was failing. So she had to work a lot to pay off this debt. And she was very um, alone a lot of the time. She became very just sad and bitter and very resentful of everyone. And that, and it became really hard to love her and be around her for many years. And, and it put a lot of strain on her relationships. So as the years went by, a lot of her relationships started to uh, drift away. And then... Things got a lot worse when my sister had um, a health problem and my mother was not there for her to support her through that health problem. That's what caused the splinter in her relationship with my sister because, you know, my sister now was facing her own major illness and uh, my mother wasn't there to support her through it. So my mom basically had kind of created this world for herself where she was really isolated. She had dated a few men. I even met one of them once and, you know, she was one of those people who was either always extremely difficult to be around because if if she wasn't happy, you knew it, or she was like a teenager in love, right? She was just always going through one emotional swing or another. So it was several months later where she decided to go online and try online dating. And that's when she signed up for chemistry.com. That's when she met and matched with the first scammer. This guy, his name is James Williams, um, the first scammer. My mom, you know, very likely could have just moved on with her life and survived. It wasn't like that amount of money that she couldn't have survived that. She could have moved on, but there were a few factors that led to her being lonely. She was alone at Christmas time because Rory was doing a bike trip overseas and her daughter wasn't speaking to her. So she signs up for Match.com. And right away, she matches with um, this guy and his name was Michael Williams. And his story um, is the one I know I know the most about because my mother printed out all their emails or a good portion of them. And we were able to discover those in her tax boxes. And so I've read through them all and I've, I've been able to see that basically the, the course of their relationship as it started and as it, you know, turned into a scam and then as it ended. And the story behind Michael Williams was right away, they start, you know, in with, you know, really romantic talk. You know, I think in the second day, he says he loves her. And, you know, I'm just sure my mother just, it was feeding that part of her soul that was um, desperate for, um, you know, love and and feeling good because she had had so much hardship for many years. So they, they hit it off, you know, trading messages in a fury back and forth for several weeks. 
And then in January of 2015, he tells her that he has to go to Africa. He installs cellular towers and he had a traveler's check or a cashier's check, something. And he was going to use that check to pay for the equipment, pay for his hotels. And when he gets to Africa, unfortunately, he can't cash that check. He tells my mother that the hotel is threatening to arrest him because he's not paying his bills, that the workers are getting mutinous because, you know, they haven't been able to feed their families. And so he's taking all of his supposed stress and anxiety and stumping it on my mom. And of course, you know, at this point, they're totally head over heels in love for each other, supposedly. So she, you know, feels this pressure to help him out. And it was always under the context of it being alone. And then as soon as he came back to the States, he would cast that check and, and, and she'd be paid whole. And as I've come to learn how these scams work, it starts off with a small, you know, gesture, you know, where she sends a couple of iPhones and a computer, and then eventually starts working up to wire transfers. I know that all of the wire transfers went to Ghana, as well as, by the way, you know, she even purchased on PayPal um, an order at the Ghana Mart. It's kind of crazy to like look at like what she bought, 25, you know, cases of Coke and a ridiculous amount of rice. You know, it's just it's really an incredible amount of food that she purchased. But eventually, you know, this goes on for several years. My mom gets very frustrated with him. You know, he's making all these promises and of course doesn't deliver on any of them. And she starts to get, you know, very fed up. I know eventually that relationship ends. I'm not at all clear that she believed in her heart that he was a scammer, but it could be that she just thought he was a deadbeat boyfriend. How did my mother, who was, you know, a PhD therapist, get herself in a situation where she with scams, not just once, but three different times, right? And I, and I think that's the part that like has always been the most confounding to me, at least at least in the early days when I was investigating this. Was you know I can understand anyone being you know taken advantage of once. I mean you know there's just there's bad people out there and they're really smart at getting you know taking advantage of people. But to me it was like how does it happen a third time, right? It's almost like that expression like fool me once, shame on you; fool me twice, shame on me. You know, fool me three times, shame on all of us that this can keep happening. But now that I look back on it and I think about that second that second relationship that she had, if she doesn't see it as a scammer and just sees it as a deadbeat boyfriend, it does kind of change for me how how her mindset may have been a little bit different than I would have assumed going into what happened next. So just going back to the timeline, she, you know, this guy, Michael Williams and her, this went on for four years. This is the longest of their of her uh, scam relationships. And um, eventually it tapered off. I don't know exactly how it ended um, because the communications between them kind of dropped. But um, at some point in 2018, it ended. You know, at this point, she has lost now a total of $125,000. So $10,000 to the first guy and Michael Williams gets about $117,000. She's already taken out an equity line on her house. Um, You know, she's dipped into her savings but she still, you know, I think at this point, she still could have potentially managed to to um, have some kind of, you know, retirement. But un- unfortunately, that same year, so this is now 2018, she uh, was with my aunt and my grandmother. This is while they were both still alive. And my aunt convinced my mother to, you know, get back on the horse and try dating again. Um, and so my mother goes back and decides to give it one more shot. Um, and this time, instead of chemistry or instead of match, she opens up an eHarmony account and she matches with her third scammer. This guy's name was Michael Frey. This is the one I learned about at the hospital when I called the accountant. 
the accountant did not know about scams number one and two. He only knew about scam three. In fact, we didn't know about scam number one and two until we went deep into her files and one day found these other records. Michael Frey was the scammer that did the most amount of damage. So she matched with him at the end of 2018. And in 2019, it's when it all kind of started up. And in a very, very short period of time, she basically emptied out her IRA, emptied out anything she had in savings and her business checking account. She even took some money from our grandmother while she was serving as my grandmother's power of attorney. Our grandmother was declining. She maxed out credit cards and basically completely had emptied everything she had. And the story behind Michael Frey was he was building an orphanage in Africa um, and also was a gold and diamond investor. He sold the orf- orphanage supposedly for uh, some gold. And when he came back to the States with this gold, he was arrested for some legal problem. And so initially he needed my mom to help him to sort out his legal problems. Always, again, just like with the second scammer, always under the condition that she was going to get paid back. And at some point his uh, health became a problem and he started having heart problems. And I think when she started emptying out her um, accounts and took um, a huge loan against her house, he um, told her that, you know, he basically needed life-saving surgery um, or he was going to die. So she basically gave him everything to put it all in a context of what was going on for her in her life. This brings us to 2021. In April of 2021, my grandmother dies. Before that, my aunt had already passed away. So my mom now has already lost her sister. She just lost her mother. And now a month later, her boyfriend that she believes is, you know, her boyfriend dies. The the surgery doesn't work and he dies. So my mother now has just lost her her sister, her mother, and now this this boyfriend, all dead. Also, it's COVID. You know, her son is, you know, living in Croatia, living the grand old life, um, which I know she was proud of me for, but um, but didn't change the fact that I wasn't there. Her daughter, um, you know, was living her life and and still, you know, not totally back in into the picture with my mom. And what happened was after Michael Frey dies, my mother gets contacted by um, a woman claiming to be the agent facilitating the transfer of Michael Frey's gold. Um, He had updated his will or something to basically say that he wanted his gold to go to my mother. And this is the final phase of the scam. This This is the scam that my sister discovered when she got the email in the hospital. It's almost like a fourth scam. I it's, I still call them three scams because it's still related to the Michael Frey scam, but it's really almost a fourth scam. Because what happened was now the scam is that my mom has inherited this gold from Michael Frey. And in order for her to take ownership of it, she's got to pay all these fees, right? Taxes and shipping and handling. And of course, my mother is already lost all this money, right? She She has nothing left. However, uh, her mother has just passed away. And of course, my grandmother was a very uh, smart woman um, with her investments. You know, she had invested in Apple and Google back in the day when it was really good, a cheap investment to make. And so my mother was going to come into this inheritance. And so in November of 21, just a month before I arrived, my grandmother's inheritance clears. And now my mom has suddenly come into possession of my grandmother's, um, you know, estate. 
And immediately the scammers get in touch with her. And immediately the money starts going from my grandmother's estate to the scammers. And this is the state of it where my sister and I discovered it. So by the time I came into the picture, my mom had already lost of my grandmother's money, $200,000. In total, what I know, when I've added up all the wire transfers and everything that I that I have a record of, my mother lost $800,000. This is when Rory stepped in and sent a message to the scammers that said he was now in control. There would be no more money going out to them, and he'd report them to the FBI. It was really stressful because my mother, you know, still wanted her phone. She, you know, she was dying and I didn't know, you know, at any point she could communicate with the scammers again. And so I was basically a spy in her house, having to constantly monitor her activity. Every suspicious email or, or letter that came to her um, caused, you know, constant alarm for my sister and me. One, one day, she, my, mo- my mom got a letter in the mail at her office and I brought it home. It was a U.S. priority mail envelope. And I handed it to her and she opens it up in front of me and right away she starts ripping it up like very violently. And of course that like sets a a red flag for me. Like why, what what letter could this be that such a, that would create such a reaction. So I tell my mom, Hey mom, give me the letter. I'll, I'll I'll throw it out for you. Um, So I take it. And of course I don't throw it out. I go back to my bedroom and I tape it together. And sure enough, it's a letter from the scammers, you know, just trying one more ploy to get her to, to re-engage with them. What freaked my sister and me out was because this was a U.S. priority mail, it had tracking uh, information. And so I put the tracking into the computer and saw that it was sent from Flint, Michigan. And, you know, up until this point, you know, we knew all the all the money had gone ultimately to Ghana. So, like, you know, as long as they were overseas, you know, we didn't feel unsafe. But now that we knew that these people were someone was in the in the States and they knew her address, all of a sudden we felt very unsafe. Um, so, you know, we were just living in a constant sense of dread, constant sense of, you know, distrust. My mom at some point, you know, must have figured out that I was up to something because I was constantly on the phone, constantly running around the house. You know, the amount of times I had to go to FedEx to scan documents and photocopy, you know, you know, add that to the cost of the scams, right? On top of the $800,000 I was sent to the scammers, I probably spent $1,000 just at FedEx alone, you know, copying this stuff. This scam robbed my sister and me the ability to have a real proper goodbye to our mother, because instead of having that time where we could have just been son and daughter to her and just been talking about family memories and comforting her, this became this horrific elephant in the room that, you know, we had to just dance around. You know, the only thing that we could do is just ride it out. We knew that, you know, the the diagnosis was pretty, um, pretty specific. They said, you know, she doesn't have any chemotherapy or any any treatment you know she won't live more than a few weeks or a couple months at most and you know sure enough that's what happened so she she passed away on february 20th it was a really horrible thing you know for anyone to have to go through of course to have to see their their loved ones suffer like that um you know she's fortunate she didn't she didn't suffer any real physical pain but but god knows she suffered so much emotional and mental distress. And I know that um, a lot of it was caused by these scams. And, and that's why I say often now, it's like the cancer that killed her, but the um, scams, you know, are what pushed her over the edge, right? The scams robbed her of her ability to want to live. You know, as soon as she got diagnosed, she wanted to die. And that I am certain is related to what happened with these scams. She was so emotionally devastated from all this and so stressed that she was just done with life. She just decided, I don't want to be on this earth anymore. 
Rory and his sister went through hell taking care of their mother during her last days with cancer. Every day was a crisis of some kind. Now that some time has passed, he's still reeling with the fact that thieves were able to steal almost a million dollars and no one had to pay the price. He's now spent countless hours trying to figure out how this happened to his mother and why so he can help others. Like me, Rory had to rush to ready a house for a mother who was dying on top of dealing with her scam. I remember my brother rushing to get a hospital bed and set up his place in Dallas to make it more comfortable for my mother. She never made it, though. She died the morning she was supposed to move. If you would like to get in touch with Rory as he's writing a book about his experience, email me at scammerstoriespodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to help me keep this podcast going so I can keep informing others, you can send a one-time donation. I'll put a link in the show notes. I appreciate every single one of you for listening. Until next time, Scammer Warriors.